Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to open it and turn with me this morning to the book of John. The book of John, John chapter 15. And as you're doing that, there's Bibles in the back, there's the insert that you can follow along. Let me explain why we are here in the book of John. For those of you who've been around for a while, uh, or at least you were here last week, you know that we finished last week what was a 15-week study in the book of Judges. And as you know, uh, I like to preach through books of the Bible, and I like to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. And so we are headed for a New Testament book to study. Uh, The only problem is I'm not quite settled in my heart uh, about where we ought to go and where we ought to be. Uh, I've got some ideas. I've talked to the elders about those, uh, but not quite settled yet. And so as I was thinking this week, it's uh, one of these uh, positions that pastors don't like to be in, in terms of what should I preach, where should I go, what should I do. All of God's word is profitable. Anything could be opened up. Uh, But as I was reading various things this week, needing something to preach, The Lord led me to John 15, and he led me to John 15 through the reading of a couple other sermons, just trying to minister to my own soul, and I came to John 15, and those of you who are here last year might remember uh, that last spring we focused some time on John 13 and 14 and even 15, and then beyond 15, 16, and all the way to 21, we focused on this section of John's gospel, which is often called the farewell discourse. And so I was led to John 15, and I was like, oh, well, wait a second, I've already been here, and I can't remember everything I've preached, even though I know you guys remember everything I've preached. Um, But I looked through my notes and I said, um, John 15, yep, I preached on John 15. John 15, 1 to 11, I've preached on, wait a second, 12 through 17, we skipped last spring. I've never preached on 12 through 17, and that's where my heart was, was on verses 12 through 17. And so I was like, thank you, Lord. Uh, My heart had been drawn to these verses And thankfully, um, I don't have to preach something I preached to you last spring. I wouldn't do that to you anyway. Uh, But this is where I want our hearts to go. And I suppose this is where I want our hearts to go because this is where my heart wanted to go. And this is where my heart wanted to be for this past week and has been for this past week. Now, before I read, let me give you some of the context because just jumping into the middle of a book is, is difficult. Jumping into a, a long discourse like this is difficult. Um, so let me just remind you of where we are, where John is in the telling of uh, the gospel of Jesus. Chapters 13 through 18 are all part of one really, really long night. It's been called by some a night of love. It's a night of love expressed by the words that Jesus says to his followers, words like love one another as I have loved you. We're going to get there in a moment. But it's also a night of love as expressed by his own actions. You see, it's Thursday night of the week of Jesus' death. 
And Jesus has just gathered in the upper room with his disciples. He's just celebrated the Passover meal with them, broken bread and drank wine with them. And in a little while, after he says these words, he will be arrested. And by tomorrow morning, after he says these words, he will be hanging on a Roman cross of execution. Of course, his disciples, as they're hearing all this, they're They they don't understand everything that's going to happen. How could they? They don't get it. And it's okay that they don't get it. They're eating up his promises, trying to understand everything he's saying, words about not being able to follow wherever he's going, words about a helper coming in his absence, and they're trying to, where are you going, Jesus? Words about abiding in him. And as I've said before, words about love. Love. And so that's where verses 12 through 17 of John chapter 15 fit in. In this night of love, in this farewell discourse that Jesus speaks, not only to his 11 disciples who were left, because Judas was off doing his thing, but to us here this morning. Hear these words to you believer in Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Listen as I read. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our time together simply asking you a question about how you view your relationship with God. When you come to worship, what is the primary way that you think about engaging the Lord? As you get up in the morning with your coffee and your Bible, how do you think about sitting down with the Lord? Or is that even a way for you to think about the Lord? Maybe you think about God as being the creator, the creator and sustainer of all things, and you, you are the creature made from dust. And that certainly creates a sense of humility, right? Maybe you think about God as your master, and you are his servant, And that brings to mind and maybe emphasizes the fact that that you need to do things for him. 
Maybe you think about God as your father, and you are his son, you are his daughter. And that brings to mind the idea of dependence. Depend upon him for all things. Or maybe you think about God as your king, and you are his subject. You are a citizen in his kingdom. And therefore, your allegiance belongs to him and to him alone. Well, how about friend? Do you think about God as your friend? What kind of feeling does that, that evoke even when I say that God is your friend? Does that feel slightly uncomfortable? Does it feel even irreverent? Jesus says something in these verses to the apostles and by extension to us, his followers, that ought to astound us. And maybe even realign the way we think and the way we talk about our relationship with the Lord. I have called you friends. That's what I want to meditate on for the next few minutes. That astounding phrase, I have called you friends. Here's what I think. Friendship with Jesus, being a friend of God, it can get poo-pooed in our circles a little bit, can it? Jesus is not your buddy, is what you often hear. Now to be clear, hear me in this, Jesus isn't your buddy in the same way that your buddy is your buddy. But he is your friend. He is your friend in profound ways that I don't think we think about and meditate on enough. I've lived all my life in this Reformed Presbyterian world, and I think we're often guilty of it, specifically in the reform world, but I suppose in every branch of the church, we're guilty of swinging the pendulum, so to speak, too far to the other side of an issue that we are leery about. We overreact. But we need balance. All those aspects of God's relationship that I began speaking to you about, all those aspects of relating to God, of viewing your relationship with God, are true and good and necessary. Hear me in that. But if we think of God as just creator, what does that make him? It makes him distant. If we think of God merely as master, then we merely think of the next thing to do for him. If we think of God as Father alone, then we only come to, come to him when we need something. And added to that, so many of us have baggage, earthly baggage, because of the way our earthly fathers treated us. We 
We need all these things. But we also need this. We also need this, what we find in John 15, this sweet invitation to intimacy and friendship that the Lord Jesus extends to his followers. We've read about it earlier, boldness and confidence before the face of a holy God because of Jesus, our friend. So real briefly for the next few minutes, three words that I wanna use from Jesus' words here uh, that help us understand what it means to be a friend of God, a friend of Jesus. Three words, origin, privilege, and obligation. Origin, privilege, and obligation. First of all, the origin of friendship. The origin of friendship, the story of our friendship with God, the story of friendship in general does not start with in the beginning. It does not start with once upon a time. It starts before the beginning. It starts before there was time. Before anything existed, there was friendship. Because before anything existed, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all existing, these three persons of the Godhead, they're existing in perfect communion and commitment. And the love in that relationship, the friendship in that relationship is the basis for all friendship because it's out of that overflow, as I've talked about before, that we get the words, in the beginning. See, this is important. This is important because God didn't and still doesn't need friendship. As we've talked about before, out of this overflow, God creates in order that he might know and walk and delight, not out of need, but out of desire in you. We were made for friendship. We were made for friendship with God. Let me repeat that. We were made for friendship with God. He didn't create you in order for you to do things for him. He didn't create you to fill a void in his life. He created you to delight in you and to have you delight in him. In Genesis 3.8, we read of God coming in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, these creatures that he had created, and he says, where are you? That's an inquiry of friendship. Where are you? He came to be with them, and they're not there. And then as we walk through the scriptures to Moses and Abraham, listen to what the scriptures say of them. Exodus 33, 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Second Chronicles 27, we read it earlier. Did, not, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So Adam and Eve were friends of God. He came to walk with them in the cool of the evening. Moses was his friend. He talked to Moses face to face. Abraham was his friend, although Abraham receives that title long after he has died. 
But for the Jew, as they look at all those figures, this is something that obviously is reserved for those guys, for those giants of the faith, for those unique people in the nation of Israel and in the story of redemption, right? And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus says these words, it is for you. It is for you. It is for those whom I have chosen. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And here we come to the origin of friendship, not in in terms of its existence, but in terms of friendship with us, that we must be befriended by him. All friendships are, of course, mutual, but not all are equally attainable. As much as I've wanted to be friend with as much as I've wanted to be friends with, with Andrew Peterson, a singer, songwriter, and author, I, I, I can't just be Andrew Peterson's friend. He's got to befriend me. He lives in a different world than I do, on a different level than I do, and that's exactly what Jesus does to a much greater degree. He befriends us, and he befriends us not because he has common interests with you and I, not because we are quality friend material, not because we are giants of the faith like Abraham and Moses were giants of the faith, but merely out of his good pleasure because he loves us. And so certainly friendship with Jesus, friendship with God is not like other friendships. It's asymmetrical, it's, it's unbalanced, it's Jesus' love that starts the friendship, it's Jesus' love that sustains the friendship. We don't bring to the table what Jesus brings to the table. And yet we're called friends. I want to read a quote to you by the great Baptist preacher Spurgeon who says this, Jesus himself invites us to live and act and be his friends. None of us will be content with a scanty measure of grace when we can have life more abundantly. I trust you are not so foolish to say, if I may get to heaven by the skin of my teeth, I shall not care about what I am on the road. This would be wicked talk, and if you speak like this, I'm afraid you will never get to heaven at all. He that is being prepared for glory is always hungry after the largest measure of grace. He who is born of God desires his father's love while he is yet a child and has no idea of waiting for it till, it till he comes of age or till he enters upon his estate. Let me have as much of heaven even now as I can have. Yes, let me be the friend of God. So the first point is just simply rejoice that you are a friend of God. That's the origin of friendship, and that leads us to a deeper truth and deeper promises, and that's the privilege of friendship, the privilege of friendship. Think about friendships in your life, earthly friendships, and what those friendships have given you that you might not otherwise have attained on your own. You see, it was a friendship that moved Anna and I to California. It was a friendship 
different friendship that allowed us to buy our first home. It was another friendship that opened up the opportunity for us to take a European vacation. And it was another friendship that was the link to coming here. Friendship with Jesus communicates that our relationship with God is not about what we do for him amazingly, it's about what he has done for us. Friendship with Jesus is not just a function then, it's a privileged relationship. Verse 15, no longer, so, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus, the sovereign one who spoke the world into being, who created you out of the dust of the ground, says to that dust that he has created, you are part of my inner circle. Right? Jesus lets us in. He opens himself up. Not holding secrets. One author states this well. He says, a servant only comes when there's something to do. A friend is welcome anytime. A servant is told what to do, but a friend is told why. You see, servants aren't privy to the heart and to the intentions of their master. There's a distance. There's an authority that must be ensured by that relationship, but not so with God. And we see this in the dealings of, uh, of the Lord with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verse 17. He says this, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? We see this in Psalm 25, verse 14. He says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes known to them his covenant. If you were to turn to Psalm 25, verse 14, there's a, there's a footnote if you have an ESV Bible, and the footnote uh, notes the fact that the Hebrew word that is translated as friendship there can also be translated as secret counsel. I looked at Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse, Psalm 25, 14, and he, translated, he translates it this way, God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones he confides in. They are the ones he confides in. You see, friendship and secret counsel are tied together, and Jesus is saying that he has revealed through his own words the Father's heart and the Father's intention, and he will give his spirit in order to ensure that the Father's heart and the Father's intention and the Father's revelation will remain with his friends all their days. 
John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I have said to you. Of course, this doesn't mean that we have the mind of God. It doesn't mean that we have every secret to the universe and that we're privy to everything that God is privy to. No, the Bible says that the secret things belong to God and to God alone, the revealed things belong to us. But this is the assurance that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And it's the added benefit, the added privilege that we understand the universe. And we understand many of the mysteries of the universe, i.e., what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of existence? That we through the work of Christ, through the friendship of Christ, we know those things. Not only that, but friends, friends say what they mean and mean what they say. That's another privilege of friendship. Doesn't mean it's always easy to hear a friend. Proverbs 27, six, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And indeed, Being a friend of Jesus is at times wounding, isn't it? But it's a good wounding because it's a wounding that flows from the wounds that he has endured for you and I. A love that has taken him to the cross. A love that he speaks of here in Genesis, or excuse me, in John 15, Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is love. And this is the amazing privilege of friendship with Jesus. So how do we get there? How do we take advantage of this? That brings us to the obligation of friendship. The obligation of friendship. True friendships don't make obligations, do they? Imagine someone just saying, you, I really want to be your friend, but you have to do everything I say in order to be my friend. Not sure you'd want to be that person's friend. It's kind of an odd thing for a friend to say. Normal friends don't talk like that, but Jesus isn't a normal friend. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I want to be clear about something that Jesus isn't saying. Jesus is not saying that your obedience to him makes you his friend. He is saying that your obedience shows that you are his friend. And here in our text, that obedience is specifically displayed through love. That's the specific command of obedience here, though it would extend to all of Jesus' words. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says you can't be friends with me unless you love those that I've befriended, unless you love the people around you, unless you love the very brokenness and messiness that is sitting in this room. 
And so by God's grace, we let Christ's love as we abide in him, we let it flow to those around us in the effect Jesus spoke to his disciples about a chapter earlier. He says, by this you will know, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So an obligation of friendship is to do what he says and to love one another. That brings up the issue of the rest of Scripture and His commands and His words, that which the Holy Spirit has preserved and continues to apply to our hearts. He's given us His Word And it's a word that's not just a map, but it's himself. I've heard the illustration that it's like stopping at a gas station to buy a map from Jesus about where you ought to go, how to get to where you want to go. And he doesn't just give you a map. He says, well, let me go with you. Let me get in the car. We'll go together. I'll show you specifically Tim Keller, a name that you know well, has a great quote about reading the Scriptures as a friend of Jesus. He says this, when you read the Scripture and you find that the words leap out at you, the words dig into you, the words convict you, the words thrill you, they get big, they change you, they come and become part of you, you realize as you're reading the Bible, unlike any other book, somebody is there. You're not just reading a Bible, you're dealing with a person. There is friendship. And of course, within this friendship is the obligation to communication and to communion. And so Jesus reminds his followers in these verses that he wants them to be asking. Asking of the Father. Is the Father hearing from you? Friends, listen to one another. And the Father has his ear tuned to you. Remember the story of of Abraham that I alluded to from Genesis? The story of Abraham, God's friend. He pleads for Sodom. Spurgeon wrote on this, God accepted his pleading and was moved by his influence. Friends ever have an ear for friends. His plea is not only for Sodom, but for God himself. He pleaded rather as a friend of God than as a friend of Sodom, and the Lord recognized to the full force of his friendly appeal. All of this to say, this is the obligation of friendship. This is the privilege of friendship, to listen to his voice, to make your voice heard before him, to love one another deeply as we have been loved, all of these things prove that we are indeed the friends of God. We need to close. How does this all matter? Well, this is not, brothers and sisters, a sneaky way just to get you to read your Bibles more and pray more. Those are all good things. Now this passage, these truths are just a reminder 
of what we've been given in the gospel. What we've been given in Jesus, which is unlike any religion that is out there. It's an invitation to not let God be distant, but close. How that might change the way we talk about him, the way we relate to him. Friend of God, that is what you are. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the words of our Lord Jesus spoken so many years ago to those who walked with him for those years he was on earth, but spoken to us this morning by way of your Holy Spirit, spoken with the same richness and invitation to intimacy that those men enjoyed. Father, how we long for the distance between us, the physical distance between us to be clothed, and for us to be in your presence. Father, until that day, the day of your return or that day when you take us to be with yourself, we pray that we might not only worship you as a God of holiness and majesty, a God who we are undone before in our sin and in our creatureliness, but may we also worship you and approach you as our friend, the one who sticks closer than a brother, the one who remembers that we are dust, so much so that he himself became like us. Oh, Holy Spirit, take these truths, use them, apply them in the lives of your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.